0: Hello everyone and welcome back to USTA Florida's Here to Serve podcast. My name is Laura Bowen, I'm the Executive Director at USTA Florida, and today we have a very special celebration. This marks our 100th episode of the Here to Serve podcast. For those of you who've been tuning in for all 100 episodes, you know that we started this podcast during COVID as a way for us to communicate with you the work we were doing to get players back on the tennis courts. In the three years since, we've covered every topic imaginable, from virtual reality in tennis to challenges facing our historically black colleges and universities. Today, I want to thank everyone who's been involved in the podcast. This wonderful team of people behind me has produced this podcast consecutively for all 100 episodes. For those of you who have been on the podcast, thank you for sharing your time and expertise with us. And for those of you who have watched, whether it's one episode or all 100, thank you for spending your time with us. And to BA Grubbs, who's tuned in to every episode of the 100, thank you for being a super fan. So today we're bringing you a very special episode featuring Tom and Marty Fish. They'll talk about their tennis journey and one of our very special locations here in Florida. So sit back, relax, and tune in to this very special episode of the pod. We'll be back this fall with more episodes, topics, and dates. So check ustaflorida.com slash here to serve for more information. And on behalf of our staff, our volunteers, our providers, and our fans, we are Here to Serve! So thank you, Tom and Marty, for joining us on our Here to Surf podcast, our 100th episode. It's really a pleasure to have you with me here today. So Tom, I'd love to start with your tennis story. How did you first get introduced to tennis and what made you want to become a teaching professional?
1: Um, I played all sports when I was, you know, a, uh, a young kid but baseball, basketball, football, those sorts of sports. And then um, I uh, i was playing baseball, and uh, the baseball coach didn't think as highly of my abilities as I thought. He didn't think I was as good as I thought I was good. So anyhow, and there's no way to, like, go one-on-one with, um, you know, like the the shortstop or whatever. So I – right next to the, the baseball courts were or, or the baseball field is or the tennis courts. And I looked over there and these guys are playing, you know, one against one and thinking, you know, at least if I, that looked attractive to me, uh, if at least if I think I'm better than somebody, I can go beat them. And, you know, if they beat me, okay, they're better than me. So I liked the kind of one-on-one thought of that. So I just, I I was uh, 13 years old. I went out for the junior high school tennis team. And, um, you know, I played the worst guy and then the next worst guy and the next worst guy. And I just kind of worked my way up on the team and, um, you know, just fell in love with the sport. It was, I was consumed by it. I would I would go home and swing in front of the mirror and in my bedroom. And, you know, I just really, really enjoyed it. and played a ton of tennis and as much as I could uh because I was in Minnesota at the time so there wasn't much winter tennis but I was a big organizer I would um you know call my buddies up and go do you want to hit at nine o'clock tomorrow and then somebody at one o'clock tomorrow um so I worked hard on you know, just well. I didn't work. I mean, it was just fun for me. I just wanted to keep playing, and nobody was calling me, so I just started call other people and get them out there. Um, so I had a late start, but I, um, I, you know, like I said, I love the sport, and then, um, you know, I started playing USTA tournaments. Um, I played my first tournament. Uh, I think Andre maybe saw me because I was wearing jean shorts. Because oh, I, I was the yes. first jean short guy out there. Um, and then uh, I remember I got some, um, some white shorts finally. And I was so excited to wear them. This is what a dork I am. I forgot to take the tag off. Like <laughs> that. <laughs> shorts tag on the size and all that kind of stuff. But anyhow, uh, I really loved the competition. I wasn't a, you know, I wasn't any kind of phenom. I just, you know, loved the sport and and uh, kept enjoying the competition. Um, and then as far as teaching went, I, um, I got like a rec job in the summer at the public courts and just, You know, started doing that, and um, then through college, I kind of did the same thing. And then I got a job at a at a a club, and just kind of worked my way up in the um, in the club side of the um, of the profession. And uh, you know, I was gonna, you know, I was in college. I was thinking I was gonna be a dentist, and but I wanted to be a dentist kind of for, I wanted to be able to take, uh, I knew some other dentists and they would take Wednesday afternoon off and Fridays off so they could play tennis. I'm thinking, yeah, that's what I want to be as a dentist so I can take that time off. And then I just started enjoying the teaching part so much that um, I skipped the dentist part, which was a good condition. (laughs) Tennis, tennis has been very, very good to me for sure. It's a, it's a great sport. It's been a great, livelihood for me, and I've had uh, amazing life thanks to tennis.
0: Well, I have two main takeaways from that. One is I would like to thank the baseball coach who <laughs> right. ended up moving you on to tennis. You know, that's good for us. And then secondly, I now have an idea for a special event at one of our facilities, which would be the jean short night, where <laughs> we all bring out our jorts, and we relive the wonderful you know, time frame and era where we used to wear jean shorts were athletic attire back in that day. Many a times I saw uh, my dad play softball in jean shorts. That's a thing. Yeah,
1: those are cool. <laughs> with frays, the they got to be fraying.
0: That's true. You have to cut them yourself. That's how that works. Not not any of this buy them new stuff. Well, Marty, uh, what was it like for you growing up with your dad as your coach and? What are some of your favorite memories playing with your family growing up?
2: Um, It was great. I mean, I had a built in coach at home. Um, I didn't have to pay. We didn't have to pay for him, um, which was nice. My dad didn't have to pay for himself um, uh, lessons. So it was nice. Um, It was nice to get an early start. You know, I mean, like people talk a lot about golf and tennis and these sports that are very difficult to pick up at a later age. Um, and so, you know, hand-eye coordination was something that I picked up pretty early. I think probably from my mom, she tied a string around the ceiling of our basement in, in Minnesota where, where I was born and where my dad grew up and, um, and, uh, with a, with sort of a ball attached to the end and a baseball bat and a tennis racket and a golf club kind of, laying there and I'd pick up one and swing at it or whatever and um sort of developed hand-eye coordination as early as I could stand um and and really took to those three sports probably more than any other um you know kind of into 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old kind of thing I, we dabbled in the football and maybe tried soccer I don't know dad for half a half a half a season maybe and just didn't wasn't for me. And, um, I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed the individual sports a little bit more than the team sports, just because it was all on you. And it was, um, you know, you got all the glory and all the blame. Um, and so I really sort of enjoyed that part of golf and tennis. Um, so, you know, it was obviously as I got older, um, and, and understood how to, you know, that I could talk back. I could talk back to my dad from time to time. Um, was sort of the time when we figured that, you know, there's not, there's obviously not a ton of, uh, player parent coaching arrangements anymore. Um, and there's probably a reason for that. And, and my dad and I have a really close relationship. We talk most every day. And, um, and the only time we really got into arguments were was around tennis and around like, you know, he wanted me to play more or I didn't want to p- practice quite as much or I wanted to do this and he wanted me to do that. And, you know, life at home would, was starting to get a little more contentious when um, we talk about tennis or sport or things like that. And, um, you know, and I was 12, 13 14 you know probably 14 years old you know at, at my oldest to where um and it was a you know obviously a credit to him to where he's like okay I need to take a step back here and he needs to go somewhere that um that can uh you know kind of el- accelerate his skill set a little bit more maybe have more players to play with Bureau Beach where I grew up wasn't um wasn't a place where we had a ton of players Robert Cooper Boltrick was kind of the one guy that stood out. Um ironically, we played each other in the when it was my first year eighteens um in uh in um at the US Open, we played each other in the first round. We're both from Vero Beach and we could have easily played uh we could have easily played um at Riverside Park, where we where we grew up playing a ton. So um so it was, you know, it was a it was an interesting, you know, it's it, I think there's I think people understand now or parents and parent child understands, um, how difficult it is to sort of maintain a, a really close relationship with, uh, with your kids, um, when they're competing or trying to compete as opposed to, um, you know, maybe just doing it for fun or whatever. And I wasn't doing it for fun at that point. You know, I mean, obviously it was fun, but I was sort of trying to figure out how, um, how good I could get and um that was sort of unknown and um and so credit to to my dad for sort of understanding that I may need a different place here a different voice and um to kind of accelerate my career a little bit more so that was when I went off to to Saddlebrook and and um I don't know kind of the rest is history in terms of uh in terms of how the coaching arrangements went, how our relationship changed again, and and, and so on.
1: Yeah. Um, I just felt like, uh, you know, I had two jobs there for a while. I had coaching Marty, and I was dad. Mm-hmm. And thinking about it at the time, I thought dad is a much more important job than, uh, than being coach.
0: That's such um, an important statement we we see so many kids come through the florida system obviously marty your documentary talked about that right and the pressure and the role of the parent in that dynamic is so incredibly important so i appreciate you sharing that tom because sometimes i do think the parents don't always take that step back and say hey it's more important for me to be the parent right now or the dad or mom and not coach and not
2: it's incredibly rare it's incredibly rare for a parent to step away um or just take a back seat and have a hands-on approach and then take a back seat it's uh uh you it's very rare and the ones that don't usually end up uh you, you don't know you don't you never hear it from them because they've either quit or they've <laughs> they hated the sport or hated hated their parents and and, and chose not to play anyways.
0: So true. We, we see it a lot. We just had our state championships and um, it's really it's sometimes very sad, but, you know, to see out there what, what happens. And that's why these messages are kind of important. And, and both of you sharing is really important because I think it resonates differently and it resonates a lot with our audience. So thank you. Marty, you touched on Vero Beach and I know Riverside Park is really, special a uh, special place for both of you Tom how did you decide to move to Vero Beach and you've lived there now for quite some time what do you think makes it such a special place for tennis
1: well um I owe that all to Marty's mother my wife Sally because I was we were living in Minnesota I really didn't travel hadn't traveled that much in my life out of outside of Minnesota and I didn't know there was like another world like in Florida where you could play tennis and golf and play outside all year round. And so I'd be watching, you know, something, you know, like a golf thing on TV and so Sally go, you could be doing that right now in the middle, you know, <laughs> or in the middle of two feet of snow or something. And, uh, cause I was a happy little Minnesotan. I was just, I didn't know any better. Um, this is what you do you just deal with it and, uh, but anyhow so we did um, I was lucky enough uh, to get a job in uh, actually in, in Vero Beach at Johns Island and, uh, and that was an important job because I learned a, a lot about uh, country clubs um, from a guy named Mike Raleigh who was amazing amazing uh, pro and mentor for me and uh, he helped me, he helped me, you know, advance my career, and I've been very, very lucky to get some very, very good jobs, Um, and then what was the second (laughs) part? sorry.
0: Actually, that's a really good point, because the public park system and the country club side, they're very different, you know, very, very different environments when you're working in those, and you mentioned you sort of were on the park side, and there's a lot to learn in the on both. We see that when a, you know, professional goes from one to the other, it's definitely a difference.
1: Right. Right. Um, so I had a great, great training from Mike Raleigh and, um, you know, because Vero is such a great tennis town. Um, you know, I moved around, um, a little bit from club to club and then I ended up where I am now. Um, I've been there for 32 years, the Windsor club. So, um, and they've been, they're, it's a great club, great membership, and they and they love tennis. But the, the town of Vero Beach is a great tennis town, too. There's um, um, some very vibrant uh, tennis clubs, uh, Sea Oaks, John's Island, the Moorings, the the Boulevard, orchid Island Golf and Beach Club. I mean, it's all the Vero Beach Tennis Center where we just held our, uh Marty Fish Children's Foundation Futures Tournament that's another great club and uh, you know they have uh exhibitions that we do throughout town where we might have 400 people watching us you know semi-scrubs play some doubles Um, but it's it's a lot of fun and it's uh it's exciting to be around so much love for tennis
0: Yeah, that was what hit me about going down there when we first met. Is There was such an energy around tennis, and I do think it's one of our finest tennis towns in the state of Florida, really, in in a lot of ways. Um, And there really is truly a love of the game. I mean, people will come out and watch and play, and um, it's really wonderful. And the city supports it as well, which I think is, is also special. Not all municipalities are, you know, so as supportive of tennis as the city of Euro is and they've been wonderful to us.
1: Yeah, our Futures Tournament, we call it the the best little professional tennis tournament in the world because we have. I mean, we charge for the qualifiers. We charge for the qual to sh- to watch the qualifying matches, and that was even before you know. Now the U.S. Open does it, Wimbledon does it. I don't know about the French and the Australian, but we did it before they did because we had so many people that wanted to come come support the tennis as well as support the Marty Fish Children's Foundation, so.
0: A good cause and a great town, so, you know, success fun. the way around. So, French
2: it? definitely charges for qualies. Do they? Yeah. I'm, they charge when you get on the, get on the grounds, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah,
1: I didn't, I, I've only been there once. They charge for practice. Oh, do
2: they? I don't know if they do, but they would if they could. I bet.
0: I like the French, so I will pay for qualies or whatever they do. I really enjoyed going to the French Open personally and uh, appreciate appreciate mm-hmm. that uh, that Slam because of, of the Perrier and the Lavazza, which are my two favorite beverages of choice. <laughs> so. well,
2: that makes that makes one of us then. <laughs> Except for the, the the clay was the problem for me. If it was a different surface then we would have, I would have liked that tournament more probably.
0: Has your perspective on, um, tennis changed in that regard, Marty, this is sort of a random question, but, um, when you watch it now, do you, do you think differently about it or are your favorites from when you were playing still your favorite tournaments now?
2: Um, as far as like spectating post Davis cup post like everything. Yeah. Um, I haven't watched a whole lot then, if that's the case. Um, I keep an eye on Americans um, as far as like, I don't know, I would assume Hala and Queens Club are going on right now. Um, Just because I know that the French ended fairly recently and, uh, and Wimbledon's coming up just in terms of the, in the calendar. Um, So I, I haven't watched a whole lot, to be honest. Like I'll, I watched, some Djokovic and Alcaraz. That'll get me, uh, that'll get me moving to the, to the TV. Um, and, uh, I heard that Francis Tiafo has made the top 10 in the world now. Um, somebody sent me that because the last time, um, we had two Americans in there, um, I was one of them. So that was the reason why I saw that. I think, um, but yeah, I mean look I, during Davis Cup times, um I watched everything. I kept an eye on everything. Um literally every match, uh player would get a text from me win or lose, you know, something like that. Um uh now it's uh, far less, far less uh now I don't have the time. Um if the tour is in Europe, that's even tougher. Um so it's uh it's much harder to For me to sort of watch now, but I I enjoyed the French sort of the end, the end of the end of the tournament and stuff. Um, I'll watch like the big matches now uh, more than, you know, but I think I'm more of a passive tennis fan as opposed to like what used to be either watching opponents or scouting players or keeping an eye on Davis Cup, possible Davis Cup players. Um, Now it's a little bit a little bit different.
0: And you will watch Wimbledon, though.
2: I will uh, most likely watch. Yeah. I mean, Wimbledon is during uh, a really important week for, for our family, which is the golf tournament in Lake Tahoe um, that everyone comes out for Um, trying to get my sister's side to come out. But apart from them, usually my parents come and my uh, wife's family comes our kids, obviously. And then, my best friend from Vero, Jay Owen, comes with all his his crew as well, so it's almost like a homecoming a little bit. So, um, I can imagine not watching too much tennis during that <laughs> during that week. That's I think the second week of Wimbledon. Um, so, yeah, I'll probably keep an eye on. Uh, usually, try and keep an eye on Isner, um, uh, some of the younger studs that we have as well. Uh, Isner, you know, just from. He's kind of the only one left over from my my era. Um or that I've played. I haven't played any of these guys. You know, most most of them obviously Djokovic's and and those, but I mean they're you know, he's 37 now. Um so anyone 30 or under, I haven't I hadn't played, you know, so I don't I don't know much about him.
0: Well, we we like watching you play golf too. So we <laughs> my
2: dad's Everyone will be tuned into the American century instead of Wimbledon anyways. Yeah.
0: My dad will be, I'll tell you that. There's not, there's not a golf event he doesn't watch. He loves it. And so uh, I'm trying to get him to watch more tennis too. So he'll, he'll be switching back and forth. I'm sure. Oh, Marty. while while you're talking, I wanted to sort of hear your perspective on, you know, as a junior player, or a, you know, even as just a little kid, what was it like playing at Riverside Park? And you know, even locally there, did did having that experience at a public park with your dad help you in any way as you sort of went on your tennis journey?
2: Oh, I mean, it, it helped a ton. I mean, it was it gave us a, obviously a place to practice, gave us a place to practice that was close to home, um, being across the street, literally across the street. Um, it also gave me a place to to kind of exercise as well they've got a great um sort of mile track there I guess it's a mile um track that you could kind of run and I would cheat from time to time and and cut corners and stuff like that um but uh but uh I ran that track a lot walked it a lot and then that obviously
0: that when you said you would cheat the track you yeah. immediately laughed like he knew yeah. that's what you were as
2: if he didn't as if he didn't know that I was doing that um now that I think about, it, now that I have a son, uh, it's pretty easy to, to know if he's brushed his teeth or not, you know, so, uh, so he probably knew that anyways, but, uh, but no, look, and they had a, they had a great, um, uh, like back wall there with the line for the net and just kind of hit off of that. I remember hitting off my garage door, you know, the garage door, um, you know, all the same stuff that, you know, that kids use except we had it across the street and it was so accessible um they were so friendly to you know let us use the courts let us use even the back courts that were closer to our house than the front courts were and um yeah, I have tons of memories from playing hitting with friends and you know I mentioned Robert's name earlier um you know just playing a ton with him there you know again uh Jake's brother Jared, uh, was a good tennis player as well. And so we, you know, we had probably four or five kids that were um, probably statewide ranked, I'd say um, maybe three or four um, that, uh, that you could kind of hit with and stuff. And um, you know, that's where the small town of Vero came pretty apparent that if I were going to further this thing, I needed to maybe go somewhere where there were more, there were more kids there to, to hit with and play with. But that being said, uh, you know, a small town like Bureau and to be able to have that park there, um, with all the courts, um, to have that wall there with, you know, racquetball courts there too. And, um, uh, yeah, just, a sort of a perfect setup for, um, for parent and child, right? Like I could go across and they could probably watch from their kitchen, um, um, for the most part. And, uh, you know, I could, uh, I could just walk across and, you know, was there easily. So, um, you know, it was safe and, and, you know, a great place to, a great place to practice. So we're super thankful for, um, for that place, because it was really where I have my first tennis memories from, you know, Um, Riverside Park and having, you know, having those battles with Robert and having those battles with my dad until I, you know, until he couldn't beat me anymore. And, um, you know, happened around, we were t- I asked you that the other day. We were, what was it like 13, 12, 13?
1: Yeah, we pro we had a good match for maybe six months. You know, I used to you know beat you easily when you're obviously when you're young, and then maybe six mat- six months we were somewhat competitive. How old was
2: I at that point? How old was I?
1: 14. Okay, so
2: it was probably 12.
1: good. I remember one uh, program, though, that I felt was uh, significant in your development. It was, the, um, it was the USTA program. It was a team thing, and it was like 10, 9, 10 you were playing, and it was kind of an uh, introductory thing, so you, there were a bunch of different levels on it, and you guys, you know, you won the area one, and then you went to the state. and, um, and Like a junior team
0: tennis program? It was right? a
1: junior team tennis thing and it made you know it was I mean tennis is tough because it you're you are all by yourself and I kind of felt like Marty maybe fell in love with the sport a little bit more than because you know you're, you're not kind of the lone ranger out there hitting, hitting with your dad He's all by yourself all the time he had, you know his buddies out there playing with them and cheering for each other and you know they can goof off together and I, th- I thought that was really Really nice program to have. I don't yeah. think they. I don't know if they do that anymore.
0: They do. I actually do Florida's where that program started, so it's a national program. But um, years ago, you know, I think Bobby Curtis and you know yeah. some
1: of
0: the people who really um, shaped Florida tennis uh, created that program, and we do still we still do it. We'll oh, break okay. other side, uh, in fact, Pierce Kelly stopped by the other day to talk to us about doing some team tennis there so we certainly will uh do that and that kind of is, is another question i had for you all is florida is really such a unique place in tennis um you know there's a lot of tennis that happens here at a lot of different levels and we're known for being one of the best places for tennis so in terms of that what in your opinions makes florida so unique um you know, Tom, you talked about moving to Vero and being a great tennis town. Marty, you talked about having to leave Riverside and go out to, you know, Saddlebrook and finding more competition. Um, what do you think makes Florida so special in terms of the opportunities to play here?
2: Um, I'll go, yeah, maybe the, the obviously what jumps out initially is the year round aspect. You can play it every day. Um, uh I, I think you know that the weather has a lot to do with it um you know you see most of the best uh, sort of sections in the country or florida florida i i would assume is i don't know about far in away but is is certainly one of the best uh sections um in the country um to come out of texas and california would be kind of the two others i would assume would be the top three and um, yeah, just competition, um, weather, um, you know, California was another place. that was, uh, um, that had a lot of great players come out of there, but there were always, you know, there was always the one-offs too. There was, you know, good players from Maryland and a good player from Michigan and a good, you know, but, but the bulk of them came from Florida, Texas, and California.
1: Yeah. I feel like Florida is like an all-star state or all-star beyond I mean the the best junior players if they're up north will try to get to Florida to to train and compete and then even internationally we get some great players from all over the world and my thinking is it's the, more than great coaching it's the competition that makes the player I mean they that's why it feels like to me usually they come up in Um, tennis players come up in groups rather than individuals there's like one-offs like Marty says but there's usually there's a you know like the Sampras's Agassiz Chang David Wheaton those guys kind of were one group and then it was nothing for a while and then uh, Marty and Andy and James Blake and Robbie and some other killers there was another group that you know they were battling against each other and they made each other better i think it's really the competition that makes the player
0: yeah i think that's something we do we do have a lot of here you mentioned the international players so many train here um you know so many international players train here and then you know we have over a thousand tournaments a year now which is kind of mind-blowing in and of itself that the ecosystem can support that and then we think we'll have even more next year it just Wow,
1: kind of mind-blowing
0: how many opportunities to play there really are here, and then how much the competition. Now that there's a nationalized system, you know, you get competitors other times a year that come from other states to play here. So uh, it's really fascinating to watch. As somebody who didn't grow up playing tennis, it's it really is kind of remarkable (laughs) what happens in this state uh, every year. Marty, I want yeah. to shift just a little bit, if uh, that's okay. I know you know you've talked a lot about uh, mental health and mental challenges, and you've talked on a lot of podcasts about that before. And um, you've also talked about the great opportunities that tennis has provided to you as the greatest you know sport. But you also said it's the toughest sport in the world. Um, can you talk maybe a little bit about how we can do a better job as, you know, maybe parents, coaches, and even our organization preparing these younger players for the mental challenges of tennis from that younger age?
2: That is a great question. Um, it, 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 I mean, the the mental and f- just the mental and physical challenges of tennis alone Um I'm not sure what, how you can help those, you know, like, or, or make them easier on yourself. Um, there's only a few things that you can control as a tennis player. You can control your attitude. You can control your effort and you can control your fitness. You can't really control how you play. can't control the conditions, can't control the court, the balls or anything like that. Can't control how your opponent plays. Um, so there's a lot of variables that are uncontrollable. However, there are three really important ones that you can, um, and, and, you know, sort of, you know, that was something that I learned later in my career was, um, how, how, how to truly become a dedicated professional, right? Like professional tennis player and how, how to truly get everything out of either my uh, God-given abilities um, talent wise or um, or just you know physically uh, how to how to sort of navigate the world of professional um, sport. Um, so uh, look I, I, the, the reason why I say that it is the most challenging sport in the world I think is because a, f- a few things um, travel for one. Um, it's a pretty lonely game in terms of travel. Uh, if you, not everybody can afford a coach and a trainer, um, have your wife or significant, significant other, um, travel with you. It's a lot of people, it's, you know, right there, that's four people, um, everywhere you go. It's really expensive. Um, uh, we don't just play, you know, we speak of golf, for instance, like we don't just play in the States. You know, I know they have British open coming up, but for the most part, they're playing in the U S um, they have a West coast swing and an East coast swing. I think in 2012, when I had a lot of my mental health issues uh, come up, um, I had gone, I should probably do the map on the, on the, the, uh, on the miles that I traveled before April, but it was Perth, Australia, Melbourne, Australia, back to the U S over to Switzerland for Davis cup, back to, back to LA, back over from Marseille and Dubai, back over to LA you know, in emails, Miami before, um, before March, before March ended. Uh, so it's, it's a lot of travel, um, uh, globally, um, it's a very expensive sport professionally as well at, at the highest level. Um, you can, you can make a lot of money, but it's, a but it's very, um, very challenging um, financially as well for, for every player, um, you know, and then, and then that's not even including any of the actual tennis of, of being good at your craft. Right. And like, Oh, by the way, you have to be really good at tennis too. Um, uh, it does not matter uh, um, how good you are if you aren't, as physically fit as you could possibly be. Um, if you aren't, uh, you're just not going to get everything out of your, out of your abilities. Um, so, you know, that's a lot of, uh, a lot of things that, uh, come into come into play. However, the one-on-one non-contact gladiator ish sport that it is, um, is so the feeling of winning and the feeling of triumph in, in like sort of the arena of playing and and playing in front of thousands or, you know, tens of thousands of people. If they're, um, if you're at the U S open, let's say at Arthur Ashe stadium, or, or if you're, you know, if you count all the people that are watching on TV, right. Um, it is, uh, There is nothing like the feeling of walking off the court, winning a match because it's really hard to win. Um, It's really easy to lose. And it's really easy to lose to um, these players that are just, you know, dedicate their lives. Obviously everyone dedicates their life to it. It's their job. Um, And it almost turns into, not almost, it does turn into a job as opposed to that really fun sport that my dad talked about that he, learn to play um, you know a little bit later on than I did in, in his life and wanting to compete and wanting to just call people and play and play and play it was more of you know it turns into a real job Um and the love of the game starts falling out and it's more of like how do I how do I prepare myself as a professional how do I market myself as an, an athlete? Um, how do I maximize my potential in terms of on the court and off the court? Um, you start becoming a business as opposed to just literally playing, walking across the street at Riverside Park and playing tennis. Um, and, and so you can, you know, you can sort of fall into that, into that trap of, um, you know, of it truly being a really hard job. Um, and I, I think, You know, if you look at a lot of Djokovic is maybe the outlier of that. But you look at someone like Roger who played for Federer, played for such a long time, like he truly enjoyed all of that stuff. Um, I think you really have to enjoy all that stuff to play for a long time, play for a long time throughout your career. I I retired when I was 32 years old. Um, And what people, you know, people would ask me, why did you retire so early? Um, I started playing tournaments when I was six uh, and, and, you know, 20 carry the two, 26 years of doing something at a really high level, or I'm sorry, uh, doing the same thing, um, for that long is actually pretty rare. Like my dad having, being a teaching pro for, you know, over 30 years at the same club is actually really rare. Usually people will do some, do a, have a career in something for, 10, 15, 20 years, and then maybe switch or maybe do something else or do something different or whatever. And so you got to remember that I was playing, I'd been playing tournaments for 26 years. Um, And so, um, you know, so for me, it was time to, it was time to, to stop and and do something different. Um, And I was ready for that, ready for that challenge and excited for that challenge.
0: Do you think there's something um, different that the kids have these days? I mean, when you look at, um, is there more pressure on kids? I mean, even in that space of between five and 15, when they're supposed to be enjoying, do you feel like parents and others are putting even more pressure on them and creating more like a job at a younger age versus enjoying it? Or do you see it very similar to how you experienced it?
2: I think the ones that are sorry, the ones that aren't quite as successful, um, or, or give up early. Um, they are being pushed too hard. Um, uh, it was, it was becoming pretty close to apparent for me when, right before I went to Saddlebrook, um, that it was the love of the game was maybe, Falling out of, I was falling, I was falling out of love for the game because, because it was, it was a really lonely game and it was something that, um, that I wasn't really, uh, you know, I wasn't really ready to, to, to take that next step, like really, truly, um, you know, not until I was 14 years old and went to Saddlebrook was I, um, really, it was really apparent that like, okay, I want to, I want to do this. I want to try this, um, from five to 15 years old. I mean, look, I I don't remember. I remember a lot, a lot of matches. I mean, because it's, you know, it's our job is kind of what, what I did. It was kind of the only thing I did was play tennis, but, um, there aren't too many matches that I remember before 12 years old that really stick out to me at 41 right now. Um, So by, by saying that, I mean, there wasn't really that many really, truly important matches that I played as much as just, I played and I competed. And, um, I think people nowadays just get so into, and I see it now because I have a nine-year-old, um, who's really sporty and loves baseball and golf and all kinds of stuff. And I can, I see, these, these parents just kind of living through their children and pushing their children at such a young age to, um, you know, especially like in golf, uh, my son plays some competitive golf. Um, and there's kids out there that can't play without their parents. Um, and that, that, you know, those, those are the kids that I sort of see and and go, Oh yeah, I remember that parent. Um, I remember those parents over in, lakeland florida or something like that or san san lando park in uh altamont springs is that right uh, Altamont springs yeah. that like yeah that like i mean there were a dime a dozen you know that were just pushing their kids and pushing and pushing and pissed when they lost and upset at them and we heard lots of stories They put them in hot water uh yeah. when they lose and like you know hot water yeah that's rough We put them in cold water <laughs> at least their body a little bit. Um, but they, uh, yeah, I mean, they, you know, I think it's, it's not the kids. I mean, the kids are only going to do as much as they kind of want to do. Right. And there you get these parents that are just, um, so overwhelmed, overwhelming their children or so, you know, just their kids have no, no chance to become, to, in- enjoy what they're doing at a young age, you know, or even, even use it as a tool for an education. Not everybody is, uh, not everybody's going to be a professional athlete or a professional tennis player, but you can use tennis as a tool for an education. You can use it, um, uh, for an active lifestyle. You can use it for, uh, you know, an incredibly high level mental toughness. Um, there's lots of problem solving. There's tons of great things that come from tennis um and adding a parent or parents to it that are pushing you at 10 years old to like you know this is the match of your life kind of stuff um is really bad for the kids it's bad for the game um the sport um but we see it in all sports I mean it's not just tennis you know um but tennis really does bring out the the crazy tennis dad um in 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 most of them and I I was really lucky with that um uh having a father who who and a family really but a dad who was going to the U.S. Open as a fan before I was born um and I and and then you know fast forward uh you know 25-30 years and I get to play at the U.S. Open on his birthday you know on Arthur Ashe Stadium and like that's those are the those are the ones that i remember sort of the most um the ones that that all the people that got you there were able to watch and and um be able to take in and um those are some of the matches that i i mean honestly the Monfils monfield's match in the us open fourth round in 2008 was like one of my most cherished wins of my life because it was on my dad's birthday. Arthur Ashe Stadium, fourth round of the U.S. Open, which I had never been to. Um, and it was an underwhelming match. It was like you know, straight sets and pretty quick, or whatever. Uh, it was a great match for for us, but 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 um, it wasn't really one to sort of I don't know remember as much as I do because of you know because of all the extra stuff that goes with it. And um, yeah, and those are the ones that really get you um, get you because, uh, you just understand that there's just so much now, now being a father and like understanding, like truly what goes into parenting a kid and, 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 you know, trying to keep them from, keep them alive in the first (laughs) years or so until, until we're, um, until you're, you know, showing some promise and, you know, I don't know, I, I, I'm not there yet, but, but I can start to understand what goes into um, to raising a kid that to raising a kid and then to raising a kid that, that loves sports or that is showing promise in a sport that um, it would be pretty exciting. So um, yeah, those are some of the things that really jump out at me.
0: Interesting. what The perspective is, you know, you mentioned the parents that are so involved growing up. I mean, I'm not a super athlete but I played a lot of sports and my parents were never there they were never there they never showed yeah. up and it was actually the most joyful times that I had where <laughs> I was free to play without judgment or anybody watching me and um, when I come to our events and I see little kids and I'm talking under the age of 10 and there's a lot like the parents are hovering and telling them what to do and things and I think oh what freedom I had as a kid growing up and and that. Yeah magical experience that um really is that freedom of play and independence like you said learning that life skill my parents not here i have to kind of figure out things on my own and teaching you for for life is has it changed your parent your parenting style do you think you know it
2: has i mean i don't know if it you know i i try and i mean gosh if i was as good of a parent as my dad was then i that would be um that would be uh that would be great um but but it, it's it's what it's done is is it's changed my my thought process in terms of what they did at, when I was a kid, you know, and what you sacrifice to to do anything, you know, to do anything for your kids. And and I have a, a son and a daughter, older son, younger daughter. And so did my parents They were the same. You know, we were uh, older son, younger daughter and um you know, there were a lot of tournaments, I guess, where we all went because Meredith played too, and she was a real good junior player as well and collegiate player. Um, yeah, so, so it's just, it sort of changes my, um, like, understanding of, like, I know that they did a lot, but I didn't know they did this much, you know, mm-hmm. and, like, you know, your weekends are gone, you're working during the week, and then your weekends are gone as well, and so it doesn't really give you a lot of time for yourself, which is okay because, um, they're your kids and, and you do anything for them. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's really opened my eyes in that regard.
1: I mean, the way I looked at it was, I thought this tennis tournament thing was, uh, like the greatest, I shouldn't say scam, but it's like my kids, you know, they want to hang out with me when they're. 13, 14 years old, 15 years old, whatever, um, because they want to go to a tournament and they got to, you know, they got to be nice to me or, um, you know, I might not take them to a tournament. So, you know, and I just got to spend so much time with Marty and Meredith, um, you know, all the way, all the way, basically till they were in high school uh, or done with high school, just because, you know, they wanted to, playing tournaments and I, you know, I, I wanted to watch them. So to me, there's nothing more fun than watching your, your kids play a sport or even now I get to watch my grandkids play sports. It's just, it's a thrill. And that, yeah, that stuff Marty did at the U S open on my birthday is, is, uh, I mean, I couldn't have dreamt of that for sure. I mean, that was
2: beyond dreamy. Um, because I was I was a good golfer too growing up and, yeah. and so I could you know so I still needle him at times because <laughs> yeah. I'd probably still be if I were as good in golf as I was in tennis, I'd still be playing golf. And so I'd yeah. still be uh I could still possibly be competing um yeah. at that. That's so important. that's his that fault. That is his
1: fault. I take the blame. I'll take the bullet. You I were pretty fine. good at tennis too, but yeah, he would still be golfing. And probably into your 60s competitively. It's like, yeah.
0: it wasn't Althea Gibson a champion in tennis and golf as well? So there's like...
2: Wasn't yeah. she, she was a uh, she was a um, track and field, was she not, in tennis?
0: She was a lot. Yeah. A lot of she was sports.
2: a lot of things. She was yeah. a lot of more athlete than I was, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. Incredible. But you, you certainly are incredible to, to do two sports as well as you do. Um, and golf is, uh, I enjoy golf as well. I tell you when you get to a certain age, you've got golf and tennis as your options. And I do en- enjoy them both quite a bit. And I find golf to be just a different type of challenge than tennis. And it, it is sort of that you'll never perfect it sort of sport that you just chase forever and ever and ever. And it can be frustrating. And then you have a really good shot and you're like, okay, that's good. I'll be back tomorrow
1: exactly you gotta re- forget all the bad shots remember that one good shot and you're
2: good yeah golf is the sports equivalent to a drug where you're on such a high if you make a birdie and such a low if you're not and you make a bogey or a double bogey it is a frustrating game
0: it is it is but we keep doing it so
2: yes we do we keep going back you can never be too good of a putter
0: that is a fact, and. That is a fact that is where, and in fact, it, uh, you know, every time I go over to my dad's house, I feel like we're watching a playoff on a golf tournament that comes down to like an 18th foot putt. And I'm like, how did that? happen? <laughs> 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 well, let's talk a little bit about the Marty fish children's foundation. Uh, this, uh, Foundation does a great job of serving children in the Vero Beach community. Uh, It's wonderful that you all dedicate time and energy to this. And I wanted to see if you could take just a little bit of time to share with our audience why you decided to start the foundation and what it means to you both. And so, um, Marty... Yeah, let
1: Marty start with why, because it was his... his
2: I, I wanted I wanted to um I wanted to give back to the community that gave so much to me um that I grew up in. Um and that's one of the reasons why A, we started it in Vero and and B why we've kept it there. Um I don't live there anymore. Um in fact I haven't lived there for a long time. I, I moved to Tampa, obviously, when I turned pro and well, when I was 15 and when I was 17 or 18, um, and now live in Los Angeles. And, um, it's still, uh, sort of feels like home, right? Like, um, even though, you know, I'm probably, I've probably spent more time now in Los Angeles than I have in Vero. Maybe, maybe not. Well, maybe actually probably 10, 12 years in Vero beach. And now, a long, a long time out here as well. And a long time in Tampa, but it just feels like, I mean, it's obviously where I grow, grew up, where my memories are of, you know, going to school, elementary school, middle school and high school, or a little bit of high school. Um, uh, and, and so that was important as to where it is. Um, why was, why was easy as well in that if I could play tennis to be able to give back to my community that was that was like one of the easiest things i could possibly do it's the only thing that i do you know or it was the thing i did that i did best at um or the thing i did best and if people were were willing to pay money or to donate to um our foundation to watch me play tennis that was the easiest you know that was the easiest thing for for us to do um and so that's kind of why um Uh, and then I think we initially we sort of added on to a charity, and then and eventually sort of took it over and and changed it and made it you know kind of made it our own. Um, but I I do it from afar. My my dad who can talk more about it and more eloquently about it is he's he does work on it on a daily basis and does um does uh. Uh, you know, anywhere from, I don't know how many hours a week, you probably work on it, but it's a lot. And, um, you know, obviously, it's a charity, so you don't get paid for it. But but he's put in more work than anyone on it has. And um, it's almost turned into like a family Uh, uh, a family charity as opposed to just it's I know it's got my name on it but it it should be the sort of the fish family foundation in in a way because my mom and my dad put in so much effort um when I'm so far away um from from being able to do that
1: well I mean it helps to use your name (laughs) Marty, for sure uh you know that gets us a lot more attention and um you know donations that what we're trying to use to help the kids but i'll i'll just give you laura just kind of the background of the foundation once we got it going um in 2006 we started and we did start with jake owen um, marty's buddy and it was marty and i don't know if we i think it was marty and jake's foundation but anyhow we broke broke apart but our first programs were at uh Pelican Island Elementary, and we did a tennis program and we did a guitar program. So we started with that. It and wasn't then, it the, the Mar-
2: Marty's tennis and Jake's music fest. That was what it, it was called. It was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So kind of a yeah. wordy <laughs> title, but uh but it worked. Well, it was a really good party. <laughs> <The problem laughs> Sounds
0: very fun. I like great, it. It really great
2: music. Great music at our party.
1: It was, I mean, people are still upset that we ended that, but we just you know we spent a lot of money in the party and we weren't, you know, most of the money it was like half going to the party and half going to the kids. We, we we wanted to do better than that. So we don't raise money that way anymore, but it was fun and people are still upset, but we um we've evolved. This is uh our 17th year um, and we've grown to the point where we've raised like a total of, over five million dollars over the years but now we're you know really raising a lot of money we have uh amazing board now that you know, a lady named lynn southerly who's our, our uh, foundation director she works hard for no money she doesn't get paid a cent and she works so hard and then we have a fantastic board now that are people that are way smarter than me and have way more experience than I have in foundations. And so we're, um, we're, what we do is we raise money to help the children of Indian River County. And we're focused mainly on the kids that need it the most, but we help all kids because all kids do need help. But we, we started with tennis and then we realized we can't reach, we can't attract, uh, all kids just with tennis so we added um other programs that you know more kids would be involved would be excited about like basketball and track and we have big cheerleading programs and we have um a gardening club it's all um the whole thing is based on um marty's six healthy habits which um so it's part of fitness fitness um, and exercise um foundation but it's also a, a health foundation um so each each program whether it's a sporting program or well they're all pretty much sporting programs even the well the gardening club is uh, uh not sporting but it is a, a health program but um they're all they all are taught uh, Marty six healthy habits um we have a a huge uh Affiliation with the Boys and Girls Club and, and with um, the homeless. Like we teach, we have a big program that I'm very proud of. Of uh, uh, we teach the homeless um, uh, swimming because swimming is a really a big part of Florida. Like a lot of like birthday parties, for example, the kids have a pool party, and if you don't know how to swim, um, you know you just sit. To kind of on the side, and you, know, you don't feel a part of it. And also, swimming is a uh, you know can save your life someday if you can swim. Um, but anyhow, we um, it feels like every year we're ex- we are helping more kids. We are raising more money. We're helping you know to make a difference in a lot of kids' lives that we're, we really wouldn't would be struggling a lot more without our our help. Um, so. We're very proud of that, and we're very proud of Marty helping us.
0: Well, Tom, that leads me to my next question, which is now that we're at Riverside Park, we're very excited to work with you to maybe grow the programs that you have. What can we do to help provide more programs to help the children in the foundation?
1: Well, that is a great. That will be a huge help for us, for sure, because definitely tennis is our number one focus and just to have kind of a home that we'll have at at Riverside will be fantastic Um, and using your staff will be great and you know we can I'd love to do those that that summer uh, team program get that going again Um, like I said I believe in competition I'd like to you know get the, the kids competing that's one thing that Tim does is you know they hit some balls, but then they start playing right away. I think that's a, that's a great way to learn how to play tennis You get a couple, you know, swing like this and swing like that and then go play. Um, I think so many kids, you know, take so many lessons that they don't, you know, that's a good way to get sick of something, I think. Even
0: <laughs> I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> like, I just want to go play. <laughs> I,
1: <don't... laughs> I want to play. It's kind of like playing, you know, practicing basketball for hours and hours and never, you know never playing the game so yeah i'm so excited that you're there i'm so grateful for your help laura you, you busted through their city council and you got it going you're a star and i'm you know i'm really excited to see what will happen
0: well i'm happy to come down and volunteer anytime um for you for the programs down there you know that the community's just been it's been wonderful and it's been a joy uh to work with you and Lynn and Tim and the whole team and I I really can't wait for you to come down Marty and, and you know see the programs I think it'll be um just a new day for Riverside and a new day for Vero and you know hopefully the next Marty Fish will come from across the street to hit a few tennis balls and hit against mm-hmm. the wall. And 20 years from now, we'll, we'll be seeing that in the U.S. Open in the next generation, which would would make me super happy.
2: That would be cool. That would be awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for your help.
0: Pleasure. So Marty, my last question is really for you. Um, when you think of your entire tennis journey, what do you see as your greatest legacy and what's the greatest lesson you would share with any of the youth out there who are picking up a tennis racket today?
2: Um, I'll start with the first, which my greatest legacy. I mean, look, I, I I hope that when it's all said and done, I can have multiple legacies of tennis, of education of mental health um, and the foundation, the charity foundation, um, the children's foundation. So um, I think if you can, if you go to people, let's say you go to people in Bureau beach and they say, Oh, well, that's that, that's that guy with that, that charity foundation. And then if you go to a broader, maybe say a Netflix or something like that, and you see my documentary there, um, Oh, that's that guy who had that mental health issue and, um, and came out, um, better for it or more educated, or I got more educated on that. Um, or I found a success story through him and was able to, to get a handle on my mental health issues. Um, and then lastly, and like probably least important is, um, is some of the things I did on the court, which, um, you know, which we have a lot of memories from, obviously I have a lot of memories from. My dad didn't miss many tournaments. Um, he didn't miss any Davis cups, either, uh, Bogota was the only one he missed and that was the one I told him not to go to. Um, uh just because we were unaware of uh, of the surroundings and it was a relegation tie turned out to be the one that I probably would want him at the most um which which was the one that uh the only one where I won all three points um uh in a tie for for our for our team and um you know so like I I hope that I hope that you can see my love for playing for the U S playing for Davis cup matches, playing for Olympic matches. Um, and then I can, I hope that you can also understand and see, um, the passion that I have for helping people on the mental health side and just telling my story of, of how I was able to overcome, um, such a, such a tough, uh, part of my life. And then, um, and then also, giving back to the community that I love the most which is Vero Beach and um I know I root for Minnesota sports and I live in Los Angeles and I you know spend a lot of time in Tampa but Vero Beach is um is 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 my home away from home and and um it will always be my I'm sure my parents will be there till the day they die and and um and and it's it's home for us and so uh so it um it's truly very special for you guys to come and take over Riverside park like that. Um, for us to go back and sort of feel like it was, um, uh, and have the sort of the memories flood back and, um, and just kind of remember all the things that I did there, not even including tennis, right? Like I were so many times where we had little baseball games or little football games, or, um, I mean, I've, spilled plenty of blood there and broke a broke a bone in my foot there because I jumped the net trying to impress a girl or you know there were all kinds of memories that um that we have from from that place so it's uh it's home and and um and and I'm I'm lucky that my parents still live there that they put in the time that they do for the foundation and um because if they didn't it wouldn't it still wouldn't be going um at this at this point um and so they're there to thank for that and um and, and yeah, thank you for having us.
0: Well, you will always be Florida to us. <laughs> so no matter where you go, I, this is always your home. Uh, USTA Florida is so in, happy that you're an incredible human being. And we always say the only thing that it takes to be involved in Florida tennis is a heart for service. Our past president, Dana Andrews, says that a lot. You clearly have that. We're so grateful to you and... To Tom, and I, even though I don't think I've met Sally yet, but I'm hoping to meet Miss Sally here in the near future, Tom, that Thank we're just grateful to have you in Vero Beach. And like I said, uh, you know, maybe when my days at USTA Florida are done, you still have a volunteer in Vero Beach for the Marty Fish Foundation and anything you need, because you're just good, good human beings. And
2: Thank you.
0: Is, is we're going to take you
2: up on that. We're going to take you up on that. We're going to yep. put you to work.
0: Anytime people <laughs> will tell you, I'm kind of a workaholic. So <laughs> that's that's a that's another podcast on a different day. But <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you very
2: much. Yeah, so thank you much. for having
0: me. it's been my pleasure. Really appreciate the time that you both have taken today. Hopefully everybody will watch this podcast and take something inspiring out of it and again just look forward to seeing you all again soon. All
1: right. Thank you Laura. See you. Sure. For-
0: See you at Riverside.